everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. We are here with part two of our interview with Bill Buddington from the EFF and the Electronic Frontier Foundation. And uh, Bill is a software developer at EFF, and he is working on uh, some of the plugins that I've recommended many times on the show uh, and tools that are really, really great, including the one we're talking about today, Panopticlick, um, which helps us determine how unique we are as we travel the web and why that matters. So last week, we talked about some of the uh, tracking problems, all the issues, all the different ways in which we're tracked around the web and why that's an issue. And we're going to get into some solutions today. Uh, before we do, though, I'd like to, again, kind of like I did last week, we uh, we throw out some terms that we don't really take the time to define. So I wanted to make sure that we covered those before we get into the interview so that when you hear these terms, you'll know what they mean. First of all, let's get some of these software development terms out of the way, because as software developers, we tend to easily fall into the throwing around these terms like everybody should know what they are. And of course, nobody does. So let me, let me define a couple of these. Uh, first of all, API, uh, which is an application programming interface. So an API really is just how computer programs talk to each other. So if, if I have a computer program and I want some other computer program to talk to me, I publish an API, a programming interface. And that lets the other software, the other software know how to, how to talk to me. Another term that we, we use here is SDK or a software development kit. So again, kind of like an API is usually, you know, part of your SDK. If you have some sort of software that you make available to others to reuse in your program, uh, and that's a lot of programming today has has bits and pieces reused from all over the place. So it's not uncommon to have several F SDKs and several APIs within a single piece of software. So as I'm building something, basically, I don't want to reinvent the wheel. So if there's somebody out there who's already done what I'm trying to do, and they've done a really good job at it, and they don't charge too much for me to use it, sometimes it's even free. I will go and download that software and just reuse it. And in order for me to use that, I need usually their library. That's another term we're going to throw around their software library. So I include their software library into my software package. Uh, and as I'm writing my software, I can just directly use it. And I don't have to rewrite that thing, um, which can be very, ha very handy. Um, also, unfortunately, it can cause problems if you, you know, it's doing the things that you don't want it to do, either knowingly or unknowingly. Uh, or sometimes it does it incorrectly. Uh, you're trying to save yourself some time. You're trying to use somebody else's version of something so you don't have to. Uh, but they don't always do the greatest job. Or, or something changes and they break something. Anyway, uh, software today is very much like this. It's an amalgamation of all sorts of bits and pieces. of. It's a puzzle. Uh, it's an integration of things. And only some of which uh, individual software writers write themselves. And very often, much of which comes from other uh, locations. Security libraries, for example. So if I'm going to do security, I definitely don't want to try to do that myself. There's been a lot of other great people out there who have created some wonderful security libraries um, that have beat it up and vetted it and, and reviewed it, uh, you know, like crazy. Uh, and I definitely want to take advantage of that. So, you know, that would be one instance where I would definitely want to use someone else's library, someone else's security library. So um, anyway, so an SDK or a software development kit is the whole thing that kind of comes with that. If I want people to use my library, then I want to publish a, an SDK and a software development kit. Uh, and part of that software development kit will be my application programming interface or my API. So anyway, those are all software terms that we were throwing around. And you're going to hear some of those in, in today's thing. Don't let them throw you off. Uh, it's just uh, it's just software engineering terms. And again, and so an API is just an interface. It's how you know things talk to each other. The SDK and the library are just little software nuggets, little widgets that we all trade and share and reuse uh, to build our software programs. Uh, and that you're going to hear those terms uh, today in today's show. 
You're also going to hear some browsing terms. Um, uh, one that, that we talk about is sandboxing, uh, which is actually a very good thing, and that what, which is to say that when you're running, you know, JavaScript or something in your browser and your web browser, when we say something is sandboxed, what we mean is it's kind of cordoned off. It's it's protected from other things. So anything malicious going on within that quote-unquote sandbox is contained within that sandbox and should not be able to adversely affect anything outside of that. So it's it's just a way of containment, uh, and it's a good thing. And a lot of web browsers are doing this today to try to limit the reach and scope of the software that's running in that web browser tab to influence or negatively or positively um, anything outside of its its scope. Okay, and one more web browser term, uh, iframe. Uh, we mentioned this probably in last week's episode as well. Uh, remember when I talked last week about how your web page, when you bring up Amazon.com or Yahoo.com or whatever your website you're going to, uh, it's really kind of a patchwork quilt. Uh, that is, it, you know, while it looks like it's all one page, there's actually all sorts of little chunks and regions of that page that are coming from different locations and generated in different ways. Uh, and if you were curious, if you really wanted to take a look at this, most browsers support uh, what they call an inspect element uh, mode, where if you right-click on a web page and you and look for inspect element, it might be under developer features, uh, you will you can either mouse over the page and start seeing things get highlighted, or sometimes it, it opens up a separate window and shows you the code behind that web page. <laughs> I think you'll be surprised to know what is behind that beautiful looking web page is a whole bunch of gobbledygook. Uh, but as you mouse through that, or if you go through that code and start highlighting bits of code, you'll see what it corresponds to on the web page and you'll start seeing how things break down. And it's all frames within frames and uh, broken down in all these various layers. And an iframe is just one of those frames. So it's, it's, it's a region of your web page that is kind of contained. So uh, we'll talk about that a little bit in uh, in today's podcast as well. Uh, finally, uh, two more terms, uh, GDPR, we mentioned on the show before, that's the General Data Protection Regulation, which is the new EU privacy law that went into effect last uh, May, I believe. Uh, so we'll talk briefly about that. And he talks about impressions, uh, which is just another marketing term. It, it, it means, you know, when we're doing the tracking, a lot of times what these websites are doing is trying to figure out, the, especially the ads, how many people saw this ad? Um, so in that kind of tracking is understandable. They just they just want to count, right? They want to know how many unique people actually were shown this ad and maybe how many clicked on it or how many um, moused over it or or gave it some sort of in, some sort of indication that they saw the ad. That's an that's what we call an impression. So okay, uh, just wanted to rattle off some of those terms before we got into the interview. So keep those in mind as we talk again with Bill Buddington with part two of our interview on. Uh, Panopticlick and entering the Panopticon and how we are tracked around the web in ways that you can't even believe. Now, now we need to get into how do we handle this? What do we do about this? How do we protect our privacy? What are, what are some solutions? So one of the things is do not track. This was something that the DNT this was something that somebody came up with a while back that said, okay, well, people don't like to be tracked. Let's give them some way as a user to say, hey, you know what? I don't like to be tracked. And so you set this little flag of some preference in your browser, and this would be sent to all the websites you went to. And the idea being that if if you said, hey, I don't want to be tracked, that that they would... <laughs> They would hopefully not track you. And there was a lot of argument about whether this was required or whether this was just suggested. And of course, you know, it ended up being just suggested. And because it was suggested, it was ignored. Um, 
what's the status of do not track it? What's what's your and what's your take on it? Well, just last year, uh, the do not track um, working group, I guess um, the the people that were tasked with creating a standard for do not track uh, kind of dissolved, <laughs> and uh, just recently, uh, Apple's Safari browser is no longer sending the do not track flag. It kind of, as you said, you know, and, and laughed about it, basically, like, it's, it's, you know, only something that you deliver, you request not to be tracked, but no one actually pays attention to that. If you're an advertiser, uh, there's no enforcement mechanism at play with do not track. So you send this little DNT header, as I, you know, I explained web headers, it's actually one of those. A DNT colon one signifies I'm requesting not to be tracked, but there's no incentive for an advertiser to actually respect that. So, uh, you know, by and large advertisers just ignored it. And it was, an I, you know, at this point, I think it's safe to say a failed initiative. Yeah. And so there are other methods for protecting yourself from tracking. Uh, I think that the major two ways to combat tracking are what I already mentioned is to like the Tor browser does to make your browser look like other browsers, other Tor browsers, and thus create a large what's called an anonymity pool. This basically a pool of browsers that look just like yours. This is the technique that Tor browser uses. Brave browser has anti fingerprinting techniques built in, and you can see that with a drop down menu. There's a you know re- resisting uh, fingerprinting kind of slider, and also Safari browser. So Safari is a really interesting case. Yes, yes. Um, so Safari browser, it looks like they actually didn't know that their browsers were resisting fingerprinting. It's just that you, the hardware on your iPhone is so similar to everyone else's <laughs> iPhones out there that uh, you you know have the same canvas fingerprint. It's using the same drivers for rendering right. fonts. It's using the same rendering engine for every other Safari browser, the same graphics card. And because of those similar hardware profiles, it ends up that it turns it turns out that your you know browser isn't very unique. Right. And I think that you know they thought that this was very uh, uh, fortuitous. <laughs> And, uh, you know, have been doing a lot in the last few years on actually uh, blocking fingerprinting very proactively uh, and blocking tracking very proactively. So that's one type of blocking tracking. Let me just summarize that for a little bit. So so the analogy I would use there, that's kind of like issuing, you know, if you're looking at recognizing people in a crowd, it'd be like issuing everybody one of 10 masks, right? So mm-hmm. there's everybody in the crowd looks the same within 10 people because they, everyone's wearing the, the, there's only 10 masks and everyone's got 10 masks. So you're at a party or you're in a crowd and you're trying to identify people. Well, <laughs> they've homogenized the people to a certain extent, not to a complete extent. Now that everyone's not wearing the same mask, but there's only a certain subset of masks that uh, out of a hundred people, there's, there's 10 masks. So you, you can only identify them within a certain group, right? It's kind of, and that's the, we haven't talked yeah. much about mobile browsing yet, but that's kind of what you're saying, particularly with iPhones, is that they're so homogenous because Apple controls everything top to bottom um, that they're all the same, basically, other than maybe screen yep. size, maybe. They're all almost identical. Exactly. Yeah. And that's kind of an interesting kind 
a side effect that I think Safari and Apple discovered based on their, you know, homogenous hardware profiles resulted in uh, relatively homogenous browser fingerprints. Yeah. And, and, you know, in the, the case of Tor, they've been doing this very, very intentionally. And I think that like, you know, to, you know, more success, for instance. So there is a way to install fonts in Safari uh, and it's very difficult but you can do it. That thing alone will make your browser uniquely identifiable mm -hmm. in terms of fingerprinting. So Tor makes it so that you can't do things that will that will effectively make your browser fingerprintable. Or if you do, you know, you have a warning or you have something that tells you, hey, look, you're gonna be doing this thing. Watch out, you know, make sure that you beware of fingerprinting. So that's like one of the techniques I think that Tor browser, uh, Brave, and Safari have used is creating these large anonymity pools. On the flip side, there's another kind of anti-tracking uh, technology that has been employed, and I, you know this has been built into extensions for a long time. So uBlock Origin, Disconnect, mm -hmm. Privacy Badger, they all use something that's that's basically blocking the resources, the specific resources that have been identified as trackers. Mm -hmm. So in the case of uBlock Origin and Disconnect, they have a huge list of trackers, tracking domains, URL fragments. So if it's something says uh, tracking underscore ID equals in the URL, they'll know that's a tracker. And they block those. They block those outright. And you'll be able to see if you, you know, uh, click on the icon for these extensions, what they blocked. Privacy Badger, uh, which is developed by the EFF, full disclosure, <laughs> it works a little bit differently. So it still blocks trackers. It doesn't you know, do much about fingerprinting. It still blocks the trackers. But basically, it figures out what domains are trackers and doesn't come... Well, it originally didn't come built with a list of trackers. So you know, it uses a heuristic algorithm to figure out what's a tracker uh, based on if you've seen some third party uh, setting cookies on multiple first party sites. Um, it looks like that's suspicious, it looks like that's a tracker, then it'll block it, and it'll block it forevermore inside your browser because uh, it's observed that as a tracker. So that's kind of uh, how Privacy Badger works. And then Safari, uh, sorry, <laughs> then Firefox actually started to adopt uh, Disconnect's list of trackers mm. and uh, and a few versions back started to basically block trackers in private browsing mode. And as of Firefox 65, they started doing this by default in the normal browsing mode. Um, so you have tracker blockers that are that are in play. So these are kind of the two basic methods for combating tracking is making your browser look like other browsers similar to yours, making sure that you're not unique and you don't stick out like a sore thumb. Right. And, you know, on the flip side is blocking trackers outright, compiling a list of trackers and blocking them. And, uh, and so these are kind of the, the two main methods for, for combating uh, tracking in general. 
So this has been uh, the whole uh, the do not tracking thing, and a Apple's actually got Safari's got this thing called Intelligent uh, Tracking Protection (ITP) that has been really controversial. Uh, and the, the the advertisers are all up in arms over these things, and and whether or not these things are built into the browser, and certainly whether or not they are on by default, has been a huge huge contention. And Microsoft got into a huge um, huge battle with ethic advertising companies back in 2015 when they tried to say that the do not track setting would be on by default. Uh, and their browsers, which of course now everyone ignores anyway, so it wasn't a big deal. But uh, Apple caught a lot of flack for doing what it was doing. And basically it comes down to these third-party versus first-party cookies. Uh, first-party cookies, if I go to Amazon.com and they drop a little bit of data on my computer, a little bit of cookie on my data, that's from Amazon. It's a first-party. But if I go to Amazon.com and there's five other advertising companies on that page, uh, and those, those, those advertising companies are dropping cookies on me as well, those are third-party cookies. So what I usually tell a lot of people is it, most all browsers have the ability to block third-party cookies outright um is that something we isn't that just something we should just all do i mean how many websites really break because we can't get third-party cookies yeah so i think that uh sites like discuss which is a forum for uh discussing what's on a page hmm. that'll break because it's a third party that's actually loaded into the site it's embedded in the site and allows you to discuss what's on the page or okay. you know what it's discussing, like that. Like buttons, for instance. So if you're on a site and you click a like button, uh, well, that's a Facebook resource, right? right. And so that'll uh, be broken uh, unless there's some way to to link your Facebook ID in the first party contacts. So yeah, I think that like blocking third party cookies outright does break some resources. So you mentioned the Intelligent Tracking Protection mm -hmm. version 2.0. And actually, just last week, or was it two weeks ago? No, just last week, um, maybe two weeks uh, as of the time of this airing, they, they, they have, they've introduced ITP 2.1. And what ITP does, Intelligent Tracking Protection, Apple in Safari browsers has basically blocked third-party cookies unless there is some meaningful interaction. So say discuss is loaded on a page. Well, if the page wants to allow third-party cookies for discuss to include a conversation about that page, for instance, then the user will have to interact with that little you know, discuss module in the page. It'll have to click on it or something like that in order to... Um, you know, basically declare intent that it would like to discuss the mm -hmm. contents of that page. And that is a valid interaction that will, you know, trigger a request uh, via this new API that they've, that they've come up with. And it's called the storage access API. And basically the storage access API allows that third party then to gain, to get control over the cookies that it has in its own cookie jar. Uh, taking a step back, basically, third-party cookies are blocked by default unless you click, the user clicks that discuss or clicks that like button and then issues a request via this storage mm. access API to the browser, to the first party, and the first party allows it to have its cookies. And that's kind of a really great way to ensure that when a first party is trying to, you know, when a first party intends 
to actually have this interaction happen <laughs> to have you know for a third party to have its cookies then then you know it, it requires uh, both the first party and the actual user using that page to opt in to this interaction so this is you know a, you know a completely new API the storage access API that Apple developed and it's actually been implemented in Firefox as well. Firefox mm. is starting to adopt the storage access API. They're not adopting it in the same way. They're not using intelligent tracking protection, but they are using this new API, which trackers or you know sites that are identified as having tracking capabilities, if they wish to have their cookies available in the context of a first-party site that they're you know that they're they are, that they are a third party for, then they. Uh, They'll have to issue this uh, request within the storage access API. And yeah, you're right. Advertisers are up in arms about this. Mm-hmm. They don't have access to their cookies. They can't track you as well as they were able to uh, before. And so they are absolutely up in arms about this. They, a lot of trackers have started to move to uh, what's called server-to-server or postback tracking. So... This involves basically taking those tracking metrics or taking those identifiers and communicating them from one server to another. So hmm. it does. So it circumvents oh the browser uh, APIs. Um, so this is kind of uh, one of the responses that the advertising industry has has uh, come up with in response to ITP. But yeah, I mean, you know, like a you know, Apple is doing a lot. Uh, as of late, to protect users. Um, Firefox is doing more to protect users. A lot of browsers are actually starting to care about tracking in a way <laughs> that they haven't before. The, no- the notable exception yes. is Google Chrome. Yes. So let, 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 Chrome. So, hold on. Before, let's get into that. So we've talked a lot about these things. We've talked, uh, you've mentioned several products and several Thing so, but I want to formalize this now, and let's let's talk about solutions. Let's talk about what people can do to protect their privacy and protect themselves from being tracked. And the first question is, what browser should I use? Which you were about to answer. <laughs> so, rank the browsers for me, and, 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 if, and if you were giving advice to to our listeners, what browsers should they use and why? Well, you know, I'll just say for myself, I use well, I did use Google Chrome, and you know, for a long time. And the reasons for that is that it has a lot of security protections mm-hmm. in it. For a long time, uh, it's had sandboxing per tab. It's mm-hmm. a very, gr- it's a great you know security mechanism. I switched to Firefox when Chrome automatically logged mm-hmm. me in to the yes. browser when I logged into my Google account. Yes, that uh, was recent. That was something that we talked yep. about it on the show. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so you know. I hadn't used Firefox for a long time, but then I switched back because of the creepy things that Google Chrome started <laughs> doing. So I have Firefox, uh, the latest version of Firefox 65. So it has the disconnect list. Mm. So that's included uh, as an anti-tracking mechanism uh, by default now. Uh, I also have uBlock Origin installed. Mm-hmm. So that catches you know, a wide swath of trackers. And then finally, I have Privacy Badger installed. So anything that Disconnect doesn't identify as a tracker, then Privacy Badger will heuristically determine if it's a tracker. And those things that fall through the cracks, you know, I'll able to block. So 
this, I think, really uh, provides a large degree of protection. It doesn't make it so that my browser isn't fingerprintable because right. it is, but it's blocking. It's you know it's using that first you know one of those two uh, types of protection that I uh, mentioned earlier. You know this is blocking trackers outright. So that's what I do kind of my daily browsing in. There are several other browsers we haven't talked about. It, well, we actually mentioned Safari. Uh, we we haven't really talked about Microsoft Internet Explorer or Edge. Uh, there's Opera. You did mention Brave. You mentioned the Tor browser. For the for for this audience, which is more of a lay audience, why not use those? What what's what's wrong with the other with those browsers? Yeah, I think that the protection that you get from your browser just varies a lot, and I don't have the particular measures, um, you know, that these browsers have taken in every single instance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would just kind of consider looking up what has my browser done to protect my privacy? What has my browser done to protect me against pervasive web tracking? That's the first place to start. I know my browser does a pretty good job and I encourage everyone else to, to look at their own contacts and see, you know, what your browser does to protect you. So you also mentioned the, the plugins, the privacy badger, uh, you block origin, uh, disconnect, which is actually now built into apparently Firefox, which is great. Uh, does it, there are several others. There's Ghostery and Disconnect. You can actually install Disconnect as a plugin directly. Do these interfere with each other? Does it is it harmful to have more than one of these things installed at one time? By and large, no. As I said, I have uBlock Origin as well as Privacy Badger installed. Uh, one thing to look out for is, for instance, Ghostery is actually developed by the advertising industry. <laughs> mm, interesting. Um, so uh, a lot of the protections that it provides are not even on by default. So you have to go into the settings if you want to protect yourself with Ghostery. And not to say that every single advertising industry initiative is bad, but, but yeah, you should really kind of uh, look into the, the add-ons. Like the, the add-ons you mentioned are, uh, by and large, you know, do afford a great degree of protection. They sometimes, in some cases, they'll not really, I wouldn't say like interfere with one another, but one will have priority over the other. So I think that the worst, well, I think that one thing that could happen is that your the resources get blocked by one add-on instead of another. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's not a big deal, I think. Right. But, you know, there, <laughs> I'm, you know, an extension developer. I uh, work on HTTPS everywhere at EFF. And one of the things that uh, we saw was when extensions interact with one another, then, you know, the browser kind of like displays this big warning and says, look, this browser, you know, extension is not acting properly and people Mm. tend to uninstall it or tend to view that as a security risk, but it's not. Um, It's just, you know, the kind of a, a, a way that the browser is trying to alert the user to say, Hey, look, these two extensions are conflicting in some way. So, uh, and I think that the browsers are working on ways to better communicate that. But, you know, by and large, it's not a big problem to have multiple extensions installed at once. The only thing I would say is make sure that any extension that you install is vetted for. You know, I think that one of the big things is that extensions, uh, if there are smaller extensions uh, that aren't well known, um, a lot of them are actually malicious. Um, Mm. So make sure that 
there's been some vetting done on these on these extensions you know like you can there's there are, there are news articles about them uh you know there there's some publicity or some or that it's being developed by a reputable company or or nonprofit so you mentioned that Ghostery was uh actually owned by one of the uh, advertising agencies which I didn't know uh I did know um that Adblock Plus uh which is an extremely popular ad blocker uh maybe the most popular still uh, is not owned by, but is working in conjunction with a lot of the advertisers. And it, and this brings up another point that I think is really interesting that the audience may not realize. And Google, Google Chrome has, and, and, and this is part of why Adblock Plus did it the way they did it too. They've realized that advertising has gotten a little bit off the rails where, you know, it's all these big things flashing. They pop over, they pop under, they... They get in the way of what you're trying to do, and they're really super annoying because they're trying to get your attention. And they're, so they're doing these really crazy things to get your attention, and they've realized that people hate that, so they're installing ad blockers, and of course that completely kills their business model. Their business model. So, But there's, there's the two aspects. There's the showing of the ad, and then there's the tracking involved with the ad. And Google has said that they are going to try to limit these nasty ads, and they will actually, quote-unquote, build in ad blocking into their Chrome browser. But what they don't say, and what Adblock Plus, I don't know if they say explicitly or not, is they may not show some ads, but that doesn't mean that they're stopping the tracking, right? Yeah, and I think that that's a distinction that's really important. Basically, Google is starting to block annoying ads, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, obtrusive ads, ads that um, are you know really trying to interrupt your experience. But they don't really give a hoot. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if I can actually say things like that. <laughs> um, get, they don't get. They don't give to you know two hoots uh, or whatever about like the you know tracking aspect of it because they themselves are a tracker. <laughs> Adblock Plus, they are you know blocking a lot of ads. They're they're you know by default they're they're you know doing a good job of of blocking ads, but um, they're you know owned by IO. Um, and IO, uh, as you know, a revenue source is selectively unblocking advertisers, which pay them. And so there's a lot of kind of, you know, things to look out for. Um, we've blogged about this on EFF.org. Yeah. And I think that one of the things to watch out for is just blocking ads isn't enough. If you're blocking ads without blocking trackers, pervasive trackers, which are included in, you know, analytics, which are included by data brokers as well, and not just advertising, in, you know, uh, not just the advertisers themselves, then you're not doing enough to to actually stop pervasive tracking on the web. And users deserve better. Yeah, Users, you know, uh, shouldn't have to worry about their movements across the web being tracked everywhere they go. Well, and this is something I struggle with because I understand that these sites, we've got, we've grown up on this model of the internet where you don't pay for anything. Uh, it started out that way, I think, just because it was a novel thing and people were trying to put up cool stuff. And, you know, we all remember the really old websites that people will put up with a little guy digging under construction, you know, little animated <laughs> gifs and the, the sirens and all the really goofy stuff we started with. And that's kind of where the web started, but somewhere along the Flaming way. Flaming skull gifs yeah. that are rotating yes. around. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Um, I can't remember the, the, the old bulletin board system, but anyway, it yeah, so we all remember those things. And so, But 
nowhere along the way did the, the business model really successfully change to a for pay model. And but these ad, you know, these these people providing content need to get paid somehow. So there's this thing where you want to support them, and ads are the way they get supported. And they're obviously you know worried about this because they're actually detecting that a lot of these websites you go to now will detect that you are blocking their ads to say, Hey, yeah, you're blocking my ads. I can't, you know, I can't do this if you block my ads. So unblock mm-hmm. me. Um, and yet the way a lot of these, you know, there's malvertising, there actually are, there's, there's ads that get served through these third party systems that are actually harmful. So I, you know, I, I really struggle sometimes to, to tell people what to do. And what I usually come down on is, and I'm curious to get your opinion what I usually say is block everything by default because there's just, there's too much danger out there. There's too much tracking going on there. The, the, the ad industry has gone off the rails and the, and they've been overzealous. So block, but if you find a website that, that is the detects that you've got an ad blocker request that you let them through, almost all these technologies allow you to whitelist some sites. And at that point, you know, if you decide proactively to say, you know what, I want to support this site. You can actually go into these services and say, you know what, let these guys show me ads. What, where do you come down on that? Yeah, and I think that people wouldn't block ads as much if they <laughs> didn't track you, yeah. if they didn't provide um, mal- you know, malware, uh, if they didn't do all this creepy stuff that they're doing. You know, I think that publishers really need to be more critical of the ad agencies they use. As, a, as I mentioned before, publishers aren't really seeing, you know, 40% of publishers uh, you know, in 2015 said that they weren't actually seeing any increase in their ad-based revenue, and in fact, they were seeing a decrease. And yet, you know, target advertisements and uh, the ad industry is seeing huge growth. So they need to be more critical about uh, why they're not seeing that money come through. And it's not just ad blockers, you know, uh, or else they wouldn't, you know, the ad industry wouldn't see that profit. So I think that that's a major thing. There are, you know, kind of novel techniques that could be employed by content providers. I've kind of heard of <laughs> out there uh, revenue sources of like, you know, using JavaScript to mine Bitcoin and mm-hmm. whatnot. I don't really see that as a good solution, but that is one revenue source that, that could be uh, used by content providers. But I think that what really the publishers need to do is push back on the advertisers and, you know, say, well, if you're going to provide ads to our users, then make them not track our users. Mm. And if then if you install a tracking, I mean, if you install an anti-tracking add-on, then you'll still see the ads that still get content for those sites. One thing that's, I think, a novel, you know, parts of the advertising industry um, have been developing technologies which are... Um, which actually do, you know, have a sane permissions model built into providing ads. But, you know, there's also these cases where uh, you'll be providing ads and you embed them in an iframe. And those iframed ads um, basically have, you know, very little permission. They can display their ads and they can have them present on the page but often they can't even determine what the impressions or the number of times it's been kind of seen Mm -hmm. um uh, you know on that site and so 
one thing that the advertising industry has come up with is something called safe frame. And what safe frame will do is it'll basically like open this communication channel between the content providers and the ad network. And it'll provide this communication channel in a very controlled manner that actually allows you to sandbox these ads, but also do the things which the advertisers need to do in order to figure out how many times it's been loaded, you know, and, uh, and track impressions and things like that. And so this is a, a way to um, basically ensure that the permissions model isn't all or nothing. It's not, you know, this, you know, random advertising network now has permission to do this shady thing with, uh, with <laughs> browser password managers that, you know, allows me to get my email address stolen by any third party that it chooses to load. Yeah. You know, that's the kind of all... And then the nothing is, you know, the iframe, which is a sandbox that kind of doesn't allow advertisers to even know how many times that ad has been looked at. And so by providing this safe frame thing, you can actually have a more same permissions model that's somewhere in the middle. All right. So let's wrap up with, let's wrap up with uh, two more questions. First of all, we've been talking a lot about technical solutions. And as we've seen, certainly in just over the course of this conversation, it's this huge cat and mouse game where... Uh, you know, the, the advertisers do one thing and then there's some technological solution to block that. And then so advertisers come back and do another thing and it goes back and forth and back and forth. What about policy solutions? I mean, at this point is what we really need, uh, is regulation. Is that really what we're going to need to solve this? Like they're doing in Europe with uh, the GDPR, the general data protection regulation, and some of the States are doing it as well. But on a high level, is, is that the real solution here? Do we just need to regulate this industry? I think it takes a combination of technological measures and also policy. I think that the GDPR has done a lot to protect European residents from the worst abuses of the tracking industry and the ad industry. You know, for instance, uh, I published a blog post at EFF last year when the GDPR was starting to take effect that let people know or let you know the trackers know that... It's uh, under the GDPR and the e-privacy regulation in Europe. If they're doing fingerprinting for tracking users, then it's most likely not allowed. It's most likely most likely illegal under uh, European mm. law. And so that actually does have a huge impact. That makes it so that these companies stop what they're doing and protects the residents of Europe. Uh, we haven't seen much of that. In the United States, mm. I think that in terms of technological legislation, the U.S. tends to lag behind uh, mm. than you know, comparison to the European context. But you know, we are seeing some encouraging trends. We are seeing, as you said, states take up that mantle, and I think that that's something that we need to see more of. We also need to see the FTC and its federal regulatory capacity, and we need to see them step in. One thing that we did see, for instance, them step in on was this novel cross-device tracking technique that was employed by a company called Silverpush. Mm-hmm. So Silverpush, uh, if you included their SDK, their libraries, in an app that you were developing and then published it to the Android marketplace or Apple marketplace and installed that on your phone, 
then that app would actually listen to higher pitched than <laughs> human audible mm-hmm. audio beacons <laughs> that are being emitted by smart TVs in the area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it would know what you're watching, what advertisements you've seen and what device you've seen it in or from. And not only that, it would be able to link other devices in the area and know that, Oh yeah, this device is the same as the other device that you have or owned by the same person. So the Silverbush SDK, which is, you know, uh, an example of cross-device tracking, the FTC did actually notify a number of apps that had this, uh, these libraries developed by Silverbush included and said that, hey, this likely violates the law. Uh, <laughs> and if you want to continue doing this, then you uh, might be sued for it. And I think that that has a huge effect. I think that companies stop doing it and developers stop using these libraries when they are notified that they might be in violation of the law. Wow. Yeah, I've talked about that in the show before. And it's so hard to, you know, it just blows people's minds when you tell them these things. It's like, that can't be true. But no, it's it's happening. Your <laughs> iPad, your iPhone, your Android device is listening and talking to your television so they could collude together to build even a bigger profile on everything you're doing. It's just it's just crazy. Yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, the future is scary. Uh, <laughs> the future is also empowering. I think that using technologies that protect us, we can get the best out of our browsing experience. I mean, you know, think of the fact that, you know, 30 years ago or 20 years ago, I wouldn't have been able to, you know, research all the subjects that I, that, that I look up or, or, you know, uh, I mean, it's just a vastly yeah. different world. Yeah, yeah. And, and it also comes with the dangers. I think that the dangers that are associated with this new world that we're immersed in uh, haven't, you know, that the awareness of those dangers hasn't come with the convenience. Yeah. And I think that that's actually starting to emerge. People are actually starting to question, especially since the last year uh, in Cambridge Analytica. Yep. Yep. Uh, I think people are starting to question what the trade-offs are. Absolutely. Well, uh, Bill, this has been a fantastic discussion and we've covered a lot of ground and I really appreciate you going through all the details with us. Absolutely. Uh, one more question. What else, what other resources do you have at the EFF that people can look up for, to help block these tracking, these surveillance technologies? What else, what else do you have to offer at EFF for people? I think that you can go to ssd.eff.org. That's our surveillance self-defense guide and uh, basically inform yourself on what you can do to protect yourself. It has all sorts of resources, not only about privacy, but also about encryption, uh, secure deletion, all those kind of things that, um, that you can learn more about and, and, and study up on. Um, just checking our blog is a great example. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go to EFF.org, we have latest blog posts there. And you can see uh, what's going on, what's what's going on with net neutrality these days, yeah. um, you know. And so these are uh, blog posts that are both uh, legal and technical, and you can catch up on on the latest there as well. Well, that's fantastic. And uh, as my listeners know, I refer them to you guys all the time. And the other thing, I, of course, I'll always say is donate some money to you guys. You guys are doing some really amazing work, and you've been doing it for quite a long time. And uh, 
you know, if, if you want to get involved, but you don't have time, then certainly spend money on people that do, um, that are doing a great job and you guys are doing that. So I highly recommend people go off and donate. I'll make sure I put a link in the show notes as well. Supporters.eff.org. Wonderful. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and, and thank you very much for that. And thanks for everything you guys are doing and for what you're doing personally to help protect our privacy. Well, I appreciate you having me on the show. Big, big thanks again to Bill Buddington from EFF for talking to us about uh, how we're tracked on the web, and in particular, this Panopticlick tool that EFF has that shows you just how unique you are and how hard it is to blend into the crowd of the web and and not look different. You were, in, in this case, you, you don't want to stand out. You want to be plain vanilla as much as possible, and that's really hard to do. We also talked about some you know the web browsers that you can use. I personally, like Bill, prefer Firefox. Uh, and while Google is very secure, it's a, uh, Google does a lot of really great uh, laudable security work. Um, but when it comes to privacy, it's just a nightmare. And he just the conflict of interest is just too, too hard to ignore. So I, I cannot recommend Google Chrome, um, unfortunately. But you know, I definitely recommend Firefox is a good general browser for all, uh, all people to use, especially when you couple that with some of the tools like those from the EFF, including Privacy Badger, uh, a browser plugin, and HTTP, HTTPS Everywhere, another great EFF plugin that Bill himself has worked on. And he also mentioned uBlock Origin, one of my favorite plugins as well. It's an ad blocker, but it's also a tracking blocker. Uh, so those are those are really the big ones. And of course, LastPass. LastPass is not really related to privacy, but it's more security. But it's something I think we should all be using because we can't, you know, we can't generate really good passwords and be expected to remember them. That's why we need the password manager for that. So he did talk about Brave, which is an interesting browser. Um, I can't recall. I think he said it was based on Firefox, but I can't remember. Brave is kind of an experimental thing it's they're trying to walk a fine line between privacy and allowing some basic tracking um i haven't used it enough personally to to recommend it but that's something you can look into if you're interested and, and of course tor browser tor browser is much better at being private it's much better at masking who you are in terms of fingerprinting um, but it's very slow. Uh, I will say that right now. Um, the way the Tor network works and the way the an anonymity is obtained uh, just technically means that it's going to be slower. So a lot of people will find that frustrating, and myself included. I don't use it all the time. I, I could if I was super, super concerned about my privacy, um, or if I was, you know, if I was an investigative journalist or a dissident or something like that. Certainly, I would consider things like that on a more regular basis. Um, I will bring that tool out every once in a while to use it in certain circumstances. But um, for my general everyday browsing, I use Firefox just like Bill does uh, with the plugins that I mentioned. So I will say again, please uh, donate to the EFF. They're doing some really great work. And if you really want to support these causes and help them to help you, that that's the most simple and direct way to do that. Uh, the other thing you can do, of course, is spread the word. Make sure you know other people know about these organizations and the kind of things they're doing and the issues that they're representing. Um, just get, your, get yourself educated and educate others. Have these debates. Uh, there are There is a lot of gray area, and there's a lot of places where we, even all of us in the privacy community don't disagree. I haven't agreed with all my guests, but um, it's important to have the debate and have the discussion and understand what's going on and understand what's really happening and ask for, at the very least, I think, transparency. Uh, and uh, transparency, transparency and education are by far the most important things we can do to begin with. Because until everybody understands what's going on and we 
are privy to all the things that are happening, we can't really make good decisions. So uh, that's step one. And that's going to wrap up our show this week. We've got a lot of news to catch up on. We had a, a, a double interview, so it took up two weeks. So we've got plenty of things to catch up on next week. Tune in for that for sure. I've got some more interviews, of course, lined up down the down the line after that. So as always, a lot of great stuff coming up. Be sure to tune in. Tell your friends, tell your family to check it out as well. And if they're not into podcasts, well, you know, maybe send them to the book, send them to the blog, uh, send them to the newsletter. All sorts of different ways to consume uh, information and to get up to date and keep up to date on what's going on and how to protect yourself. And until then, as always, stay safe out there and don't get caught with your drawbridge down.